Scripture this morning is Mark 11, verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go ahead to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Tell them, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Thanks, Bill. Well, good morning. The passage that Bill just read is full of excitement. It's palpable in the air. Jesus is coming into town. And there is a cry through the, through the crowd with the thousands gathered around. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save us. Everybody wants to see Jesus, wants to touch him, wants him to be their Messiah. If you look in your Bibles, most of your Bibles will have the title above this section, the triumphal entry. But what's triumphant about it at all? If you were to say to a Roman, do you remember the triumphal entry? They would spit in your face and laugh at you. A triumphal entry for the Romans was a great victory that a leading Soldier had gone out and defeated his enemy and killed at least 5,000. And then the victory was prepared for as the soldiers would ride into town. There'd be an elaborate spectacle, an incredible parade, ticker tape everywhere. The Romans would ride in and they would come in with the spoils of the land of the people they conquered. They would ride in, all the soldiers would come in in each division Everybody was crying out in the victory. Trumpets were blasted. Incense were burnt. All of the spoils and then the captives were captured and in line with them. Some of them, just for the amusement of the people, were thrown to the wild animals. It was an incredible parade. And then in the middle of all that, here would come the commander on his golden chariot with incredible stallions pulling him. That's a triumphal entry. And yet, it's labeled this, a triumphal entry. And you have to go, what's so triumphal about it? The people of Israel had a nationalistic fervor. They wanted to have someone who would conquer the Romans. And so the Roman army was on special alert during this time of Passover. They wanted Jesus to be their king. And more importantly, they wanted Jesus to be their king of war. That you would come in and save us. Hosanna. Save us. And so they started again to cry out, and they're laying their cloaks before his feet. 
And in essence, putting a crown on his head, be our king, be our Messiah, our Savior. But it was a false coronation. It was the right, true king, but it was a false coronation. It was a faithless one, and it was a fickle coronation. And yet everybody cried out, He is our Messiah, save us. Hosanna. You can only picture at this time, modern day, Steve Harvey. Remember Steve Harvey from the Miss Universe pageant? Steve Harvey showing up in the middle of this. And Steve Harvey showing up as he's being crowned king. And going, oh, I am so sorry. This is not the Messiah you voted for. This is not the right one. It's, it's right here on the card. He is not the Messiah that you wanted and actually voted for to become the crowned one. And so Jesus, sorry, we're going to need to take that crown back. Because the one we voted for is a king of war. We need to take that crown back. And by the way, get off my cloak. The crowd turned quickly as we know the story in the end. King of war or king of peace? What's triumphant about the triumphal entry after all? You know, it's interesting, in in the Gospel of Luke, we see as Jesus rides down the end of the road, he gets to the end of the road and he looks over Jerusalem. And do you remember what he does? He does. He weeps. Triumphal entry? It's Jesus with a broken heart over the people who do not see him, who do not know him as Lord and Savior, who have not received him, who have not understood who he is, have not understood why he came. And he weeps over the city because the people see him as king of war when he is indeed king of peace. Let's pray that we'll see that this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning humbly. We come to you this morning and and we acknowledge that uh, a lot of times we want you to be king of war. We want you to crush the enemy. And Father, help us to see who you really are. You are the true king. You deserve to be crowned. We know the rest of the story, that you have conquered sin and death, that you sit at the right hand of the Father that you will come back in full victory. But Father, uh, we again, we, we long a lot of times just that you would make war and crush our enemies. But show us who you are as King of Peace, I pray. Minister to our hearts this morning. Thank you for this beautiful passage that shows your heart for us. And may your Holy Spirit touch our hearts this morning. In your name. Amen. King of war, king of peace. The setting of the week is Passover, and, and he's getting ready, and he's coming out. He went over to, to Bethany and Bethpage, over in the area just east of the Mount of Olives. He liked to hang out in Bethany. Remember, Bethany's where, where his good friend Lazarus was, and Mary and Martha. That was one of his favorite spots to hang out. And he loved being there. He was ministered to there. Dear friends, and so he went and he started from that area. 
as the beginning of Passover week starts. Again, thousands and thousands are coming from all over the Roman world to remember, to rejoice, to celebrate the exodus out of Egypt. It's Passover time. God has delivered His people. Everything is being prepared for this time. And Jesus is preparing for what the Father has for Him, which is to die on the cross for our sin but ultimately to rise again and to offer life to whoever would believe. I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many, for each of us. That's why he came. All this preparation, all this time when he came as a child, all of this to this moment, this week, that he would conquer sin and death and offer life. It all came down to this week. And there's a frenzy in town. And preparation's going on. One of, the, one of the things that's interesting about this whole passage, and a big part of this passage, is, is the preparation by getting the donkey. There's, there's seven verses in this, in this little section of 11 verses, and it's all about the donkey and getting ready for that. It's kind of surprising, right? In the big week. So Jesus sends his disciples over, probably over to Bethphage, over just next to Bethany, to go get a donkey that has been prepared for him. The donkey was a royal animal, and especially during King David's reign. So it wasn't just this awful animal. It wasn't considered that so much. This one was a, a foal. It was uh, a year or less. In age, so it wasn't even a mature animal. And Jesus sends them over to say, Hey, I need this donkey. It's part of the preparation for this week. You know, for you Star Wars fans, I, I think, I think we start to see that Jesus was the first true Jedi master, training his disciples how to use the Force, you know? Can you imagine they're showing up to the owner of the donkey? They're like, hey, we need your donkey. The guy's going, what? We need your donkey. <laughs> oh, good. The Lord is of need of it. Absolutely. Take the donkey. And they take the donkey. I mean, what owner in their right mind is going to be like, yeah, sure, just it's my main animal. Go ahead, take it. And so they take the donkey to Jesus. It's not just some random scene. Again, these seven verses of of his disciples going over and, and, again, being part of that whole preparation. He continues to teach his disciples about who he is, and he involves them in all that's going on in his life and ministry. And so they come and they, and they grab the animal. And you go, what, what is all this time spent? Just some interesting verses about getting the donkey from this owner. Well, it was an incredible fulfillment of prophecy. 500 years before. Zechariah had spoken about this moment. Zechariah 9, 9. Mark that in your scriptures. It says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. God's plan from the beginning of time 
and then spoken 500 years earlier to this scene, is this week that you will come in as king on this donkey and you will ride in as a savior. You are the one who's the anointed one. You are the Messiah. The people, however, still wanted a king of war. And Jesus rides in king of peace. They're spreading their cloaks out. Salvation. They're making him king. The cloaks being spread out were, were things that would take place that happened. We saw it in Second uh, Kings in chapter 9 when Jehu uh, was anointed king. And, and they laid out their cloaks before him on the steps. And they're like, oh, rise up, O King Jehu. Deliver us. Save us. And so there was precedent set before where we'd see that. And it was kind of the imagery of, we submit to you. You, you basically are over us. You, you trample over our cloaks. You're above us. We raise you up. Our lives are surrendered to you. And so we lay our cloaks down. They were doing this to Jesus. Hosanna, save us. They anointed Jehu like this, and they come, and they anoint Jesus like this, laying out palm branches, crying out, Hosanna. The hope for the kingdom is very high. The hope for the kingdom is one that, again, would overthrow the Roman government. Palm branches laid out, save us, save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a beautiful scene, actually. But again, what's triumphant about the triumphal entry? In Jesus' eyes, they miss the whole deal. There's always some in the crowd, and this is true of life, isn't it? There's always some in the crowd who earnestly are seeking after Jesus. Their hearts are being touched. But whenever you have a massive crowd like this, most of them are coming just to see a faith healer, to see what all the ruckus is about, to somehow get a a king that will deliver them from their oppression. And Jesus starts to recognize, boy, they are missing it. And he's always asking that of us. Do you really see me like we talked about last week? Do you really know me? Jesus receives this praise, doesn't he? It's kind of interesting. All throughout his ministry, right? What would happen when he would heal somebody? What would he tell them to do? Say, no, no, don't go away. Go, go to your town, but don't tell anybody about this. When he, would, when he would cast out the demons, he'd cast the demons into swine. He wanted the demons to just be quiet. Don't tell anybody. In the other Gospels, as the praise is coming to him, and some people are saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. He said, you know what? You're not going to keep this crowd quiet. If they weren't praising me, the rocks would cry out about who I am. He receives the praise this time. Why? Because it's time. It's time. Everything, God in all of his radical love has set this very moment. It's time to receive who you are. It's time to go to the cross and die and rise again. It's time. All of God's love being poured out in this week of Passover week. It was time. 
And so Jesus received this praise because now people need to know and understand who you are. Daniel 9 prophesied about it. said, 483 years from the moment that Artaxerxes issues his decree, the Anointed One will come in. It's time for love to be expressed. This praise on the road into Jerusalem are not just random words. They're of expectant Messiah. They're of expectant Savior, of conqueror Savior. Maccabeus came in in 163 B.C. And what happened is, is Antiochus had come into the temple and he totally desecrated the temple. And Maccabeus came in and wiped him out, cleansed the temple. It's where we end up getting the Feast of Dedication or, or Hanukkah, the Feast of Lights. Maccabeus was a conqueror, came in and wiped out Antiochus. And that's what the Jews wanted. Be like him. Blessed is he, Hosanna. And this crying out comes out of Psalm 118. Let me just share some of it with you. It's, it's really a conqueror's psalm. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you answered me. You have become my salvation. Again, the longing for the Messiah, the Anointed One. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray. Hosanna, O Lord. Save us. Give us success in all that we do. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and He has made His light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God and I will extol you. For your steadfast love endures forever. Here's the thing that's amazing about this thing. Everything that they're crying out is true. It's true. He comes in the name of the Lord. That's biblical. He comes in the right line, the right line of David. Save us, oh save us. But there was a lot of lips moving that day, but not a lot of hearts moving closer to Jesus. It was a lot of lip service, it really was. What's triumphal about the triumphal entry? Everything being cried out. Hosanna, save us, was missing what God wanted for them. Why? Because it was Hosanna, Jesus, Messiah, do it our way. Do it our way. Hosanna, save us. He rides in. They want a conqueror. They want one who will ride in as king of war. And that's not what he came as. He came as king of peace. 
You've got to understand something. Roman oppression was pretty heavy. Heavy taxes. There'd be physical cruelty to the people. If they wanted, they could just kill someone on the spot. Do you understand the, the scene? And Roman oppression? You think we have oppression or, or attack against us. They were facing it hard. And it would be appropriate in a lot of ways. We want to be delivered from this. And part of us is expectant, like, yeah, Jesus, come and just take out the Romans. But he doesn't do that, does he? It's kind of surprising to us. But Jesus is trying to reveal his character and who he really is. I'm not king of war. I'm king of peace. Even if I conquered the Romans, that's not going to change your heart. Even if I destroyed them, it's not going to draw you closer to me and having real salvation. So he rides in, humble king. He rides in as king of peace on a donkey, that symbol of peace, not on a war horse. He rides towards Jerusalem, Jeru, city of Shalom, city of peace. His city is city of peace. In Luke 19, where Jesus weeps at the end of the road, he cries this out. Oh, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But they're hidden from your eyes. What's going to happen is there's going to be an incredible attack upon you. There's going to be, Titus is going to come in and he's going to crush you. You've missed everything about me. If only you had known what makes for peace. What kind of Jesus are you after? A Jesus who does it your way? A Jesus who is at war? Or humble King Jesus who comes as Jesus of peace? That's how he rides into our lives. He is the Prince of Peace. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's who our God is. That's how he steps into our life. That's how he changes our hearts. The only war that he's declaring is on the hearts of men. You know, it's interesting, verse 11. It's kind of this weird verse thrown in there at the end of the scene. What does he do? He rides into town. He goes into the temple area, he looks around, and then he goes back to Bethany. You're like, what's that all about? By the way, that's not very triumphant on triumphal entry. Where's all the cheering going on? This doesn't end with a big bang, a big parade. What happened at the temple? That's the heart of worship, isn't it? It's the heart of drawing to God. Coming in there, looking around, all that is the center of worship to God. And I think Jesus, again, knowing that this is his final week, drawing before the Father, okay, Father, this is my week. This is what it all comes down to. But looking around at all that's taking place in the temple, all that's happening, all the worship, again, Offering as many 
sacrifices as you could to somehow please God. I think he took inventory. I think he started to do a soul search. What's happening with my people? And we'll see next week what he does in response to what he sees. You see, Jesus comes and he searches the heart of man, of each and every one of us, right? He rides in his Prince of Peace to die on the cross for our sin, to pay that payment, to rise again, and to bring life. And the only battle is for our soul. There's not going to be this outward victory that's going to change your heart. Even if I did deliver you from Rome, what would that mean to you? And so he comes in. Well, I think the question is, well, what kind of peace does Jesus bring? What does he bring to us? Who is our Lord? I think for many of you who've walked with Jesus for a long time, he brings a peace to us right in the middle of the trial that we're going through. And many of us go through a lot of trials, don't we? Our Lord, our Messiah, our Savior, the lover of our souls, brings a peace to us right in the middle of the storm like Jesus on the boat. He takes our anxious hearts and he gives them calm and rest in him. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here's the promise of our Lord. As we come to him with our anxiousness, He says, let the peace of God, which surpasses all of our understanding, let it guard your hearts and your minds in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's what he rides in with. He rides in with this incredible peace. And you can't forget, it's a promise of the Lord. Listen, don't be anxious. Yeah, I know you're going through cancer stuff right now. But I have your life. I know what's going on. Turn it over to God and let the peace of God, which is very present, by the way, let that guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. God's not going to offer that to you unless he's going to do it, and he does. And many of you have testimony to that. He does. He comes in as one who is sovereign. He knows all these things going on. Nothing's out of His control. You search me. You know me, Lord. You know my lying down and my rising up. You're acquainted with all of my days. You have me in, behind, and before. Your knowledge is so wonderful to me. It's so high I can't even attain it. When we realize that God is sovereign, He's in control, He sees, He knows all, His peace rides into our lives doesn't it? And we end up crying out, I love you, Lord. You're my strength, Psalm 18. You are my rock and you are my fortress. You are my deliverer, my God, my rock. And in you I take refuge. You see, he rides in with peace there. You're my shield and my horn of my salvation. You are my stronghold. And I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And I am saved from my enemies. It's in that place that we can rest. We can have actual shalom. We can have peace in our souls because God is sovereign. 
He has your life. He knows your days. He knows what's going on with you. He's present. And so we have peace in Him. We can have ultimate peace with God when we come into relationship with Jesus Christ. We can have ultimate peace. You see, we're wrestling all the time. We, we, before we come to know Jesus, we're fighting in our souls and we're trying to understand and we can't get a handle of life. And we receive ultimate peace in Him. When we stop kicking against Him and letting Him be Lord of our lives. The last soldier to die in the First World War was an American. He was 23 years old. His name was Henry Gunther. He was on the American Expeditionary, uh, uh, Expeditionary Force in France. And it was a tragic scene. He was a private. He was killed at 10.59 a.m., November 11th, 1918. One minute before the armistice went into effect. They were walking along a road in France and they saw some Germans with some tanks and and, uh, some machine guns and they were over in this area over here. And so against the orders of his commander, he went and he charged in against these Germans. And the Germans knew that the armistice had been put into place, that there was going to be no more fighting. And they tried to wave him off. But he kept charging. And so they shot him dead on the spot. One minute before everything went to peace. We keep fighting against God. And he says, I offer you peace for your life. Ultimate peace. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, Romans 5 says, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimate peace. That's what he offers to each and every one of you. As we acknowledge him as Lord and Savior, he gives us peace for our lives. Shalom. Rest. The other thing that I see Jesus doing with us is that he instills in us a continuation. He instills his heart in us. It's Christ who lives in us, right? And he is a God of peace. And so what I think he does with us is he starts us to have us live that out. That we are a people of peace. That we bring who he is to this world who is longing for peace in their soul. And that we're seeking peace with one another. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, Romans 12 says. Here's, here's the challenge, I think, for us today. We, we live in this, this political environment, this cultural environment, that all of the rhetoric, rhetoric that we're getting is just this angry rhetoric, isn't it? And it really is a, uh, a cry for war from all kinds of different people. I'm not making a political stance here. I want to make that very clear. I just want to acknowledge what's happening in our culture. And here's the deal, if you're real honest with yourself. A lot of times when you hear the rhetoric, 
let's just crush them. Let's just blow them up. Let's just defeat the enemy this way. We're sort of drawn to that sometimes. Because we want, like the Jews wanted, we want there to be a defeat of the enemy. And so we're easily kind of falling into that. And we're getting into this rhetoric with all those who are doing it. And we're like, yeah. This fervor starts to build. And I think it's dangerous to our soul, actually. That we're falling into this place of, let's go ahead and yes, if we'll just take out the enemy, let's do it. Everything will be good. Ephesians says, He Himself is our peace. He has made us both to be both one. And He's broken down his, in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. We've come in this, in this incredible, again, this war that's starting to develop. And again, you know, ISIS is evil, you know, and they do a lot of damage. That doesn't mean we don't want to, to fight the enemy who's doing damage. I think, unfortunately, though, you know, we're, we're attaching that to, to all of our Muslim friends. I just think we are. And I think we have to be really careful with that. You know, Ephesians talks about breaking down the dividing wall. That's Jew and Gentile, right? Gentiles are us. You and me, Gentiles are Muslims. Gentiles, we're breaking down that wall. Why? So that we all can know Jesus. And I just want to encourage you to just start to ask yourself, Lord, what's my heart like in the middle of all this? How's it going to deal with our heart? That we're not so quick to attack back, to do battle against. We kind of start to take that into our own lives. If a friend of ours attacks us, let's attack him back. The Lord's the Lord of peace. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. So strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And let me finish with this. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful for such things. He rides in as the King of Peace. Let's pray. Father, I just pray this morning again for us in this room that you will help us see that you are the King of Peace. And Father, that we would trust you with all the things that are going on in the world, with all the things that are, that are waging war against us, and help us to be a people of peace, of shalom. That the world may know you as we live out a life of peace. Father, help us to be wise. Help us to be loving. And Father, for those who don't know you this morning, would they receive your peace, I pray. In your precious name, amen.